So Washington, D.C. is a place, I mean, known to be dangerous. Let's be honest. It has a high crime rate. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of shady individuals walking around. I mean, the politician? Yeah, you stole my joke. I was going <laughs> to say, that's just the politician. Sorry, sorry. But, uh, you know, of, of all the monsters that might exist in Washington, D.C. That, that we know about, I stumbled upon the story of, of a different D.C., if you will. Mm-hmm. That of the Washington, D.C. demon cat. I, I just, I didn't know what I was in for when I started down this road. It was an interesting one. It was a fun one. So tonight, we're talking about the Washington, D.C. demon cat. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Apparently, the roller derby team from Washington, D.C. is called the Demon Cats. Gotta love it. I wouldn't have known that was a reference to anything at all if I'd have just heard that name. But, like I've said before on the podcast, the way we find a lot of our topics is I just kind of browse Reddit or Facebook or whatever, and I found a reference to the Washington, D.C. Demon Cat, and I thought... I love the play on the, on the yeah, initials, the DC. too. Washington, D.C. It is Washington, D.C., but... DC in this case stands for demon cat. Well, pretty much in all of my, my notes here, I use DC instead of demon cat. So, I mean, and that's even what they, that, and that is, I mean, that's reference. That's sort of part of the, the tongue in cheek bit of this, a little bit of a joke. (laughs) And there is some humor related to this story, but I I just thought it would be interesting. So I threw it out there and I started doing my research. And at first I was afraid it was going to be another one of those gal row incidents where I wasn't going to find enough, but Dead end. same story over and over. Yeah. There was definitely enough to, to flush out this whole episode. So the DC is considered one of the most common of all ghost stories in the Capitol. That even appears in official literature from like the white house historical society, things like that. It's been reported as far back as the 1800s, but what started this, you know, what's believed to have started all is, Cats were introduced into the basement tunnels of the U.S. Capitol building to kill rats and mice. Yep. During the Civil War time frame, there was a, a makeshift bakery established. And, you know, they brought in huge supplies of wheat, grain, you know, to, to make bread. Going to have the mice yeah, and the rats. When you have that, you're going to have some, some mice and rats. Now, this, this crypt underneath the Capitol building was originally built. And I had no idea. Yeah, to be it the had, there was a of, crypt. Yeah, it was built to be the tomb of George Washington. But it's not as scary as what you might think. It's really not. But also due to some weird acoustical things, they say sounds are magnified like way, way, like a little noise sounds much louder. I I could totally understand that. And so that's part of like how maybe this legend kind of blew up a little bit as it were. And and you'll find that 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 can be taken quite literally (laughs) as we get into some of this. But yeah, it was originally meant to be the burial chamber of George Washington. Now the cat is typically described as a black cat, but some people do describe it as a tabby cat. And it's, it's, it's when seen is the size of an average house cat. I think most accounts say it has glowing red eyes. Yeah. And the reason I say when seen is the size of a regular house cat mm-hmm. is that apparently the demon cat grows after it's been spotted. 
Some people say it grows to be as big as a giant tiger. I've heard descriptions that said it was as big as an elephant. That's a big, That's a big spectral kitty. cat. Apparently, its purrs grow in intensity with its size to become a deafening roar as it leaps with claws extended towards its intended victim. Now, I will say most of the stories in the research I did, um, I'm going to say it, it's for the most part considered a non-hostile. It to never, most yeah, degrees. Like even when it jumps at somebody, it usually disappears. And, unless you want to count the fact that it could literally scare people to death. Which, uh, there was one which a, has account that uh, one guy or one person, I don't know if it's guy or gal, actually had a heart attack and they blamed it on the demon cat. You know, I'm not sure how they talked to him after he died. Was it the cat that scared <laughs> you to death? I'm, you know, I'm not sure about how that worked. But. Well, well, another weird aspect of the story is that sometimes when it expands, it doesn't simply grow to a size and stop. It just grows and then explodes. Yeah. So I found that kind of weird too. But I think, what was it? The, the Washington, what I have here, the Washington Post wrote about the DC in 1893. It said it was a, a truly horrific apparition. The feline spook of the Capitol possesses attributes much more remarkable inasmuch as it has the appearance of an ordinary cat when first seen and presently swells up to the size of an elephant before the eyes of the terrified observer. Right out of the pages of a horror book. Well, you know me, I'm the history guy. So I, I dove into the history of the U.S. White House basically being built to see, to Bill's point, you know, how far does this possibly go back? Where could it have possibly got its origins? So a little bit of a history tour. The White House is a, the, obviously the official residence and workplace of the President of the United States. It's located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, northwest of Washington, D.C., and it's been the residence of every U.S. president since uh, John Adams in 1800, when the national capital was moved officially from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. The term White House is often uh, used uh, for, you know, as the home of the president and his advisors. Now, at the time, I guess a lot of the advisors of the president uh, lived there with him, unlike more today, you know, where they're you know, more strung out because obviously we have more states and, you know, all of this. The residence was designed by an Irish-born architect named James Hoban uh, in the neoclassical style. Hoban modeled the building on uh, Lannister House in Dublin, a building which today houses uh, Irish legislature. Now, construction took place between 1792 and 1800 with the exterior of Aquia Creek sandstone painted white. When Thomas Jefferson moved into the house in 1801, he and architect Benjamin Henry Latrobe added lower colonnades on each wing to conceal then what were stables and storage. In 1814, during the War of 1812, or right after the War of 1812, the mansion was actually set ablaze by British forces in the burning of, uh, of Washington, destroying the interior and charring most of the exterior. Reconstruction began almost immediately, and President James Monroe moved into that reconstructed area, the executive residence, on October of 1817. Now, exterior construction continued with the addition of the semicircular south portico in 1824 and then the north portico in 1829. Now, Bill had talked about the crypt room, which that sounds exceptionally creepy and eerie. The United States Capitol Crypt is the large circular room filled with 40 neoclassical columns directly beneath the United States Capitol Rotunda. It was built originally, as, as Bill said, 
to offer an entrance to Washington's, George Washington's tomb. It currently serves as a museum and a repository for 13 statues of the National Statuary Hall Collection. The crypt originated with the initial designs drawn up for the United States Capitol by William Thornton, which called the rotunda to be placed between the two wings of the building, and then the room beneath the rotunda was therefore required to support the large space above it. However, construction did not begin on the central part of the Capitol where the rotunda and the room beneath it were until after the War of 1812. Construction on the Capitol itself began in 1793 when the first American president, George Washington, laid down the cornerstone to the north wing of the building. Now, upon the death of Washington in 1799, the designers of the Capitol had this idea, and they went to Martha Washington, his wife, and requested permission to build a tomb for her husband at the Capitol. Obviously, the first president, the the first founding father, so to speak. Now, she agreed to the request, and plans were made immediately to construct the tomb underneath the floor that supported the rotunda. Uh, The area was designated as the crypt at that point in time, and that's where it derives this name, as it would serve as the entry to the tomb. And I think there was even mentions that maybe some big, thick glass panels would be installed in the floor where you could like be up in the rotunda area and look down upon Washington's body or his crypt or sarcophagus or, or whatever. Say the original, when you just said body, that, I was like, that sounds terrible. That sounds terrible, yeah. Delays racked construction efforts for the Capitol builders, notably with the interruption, as I had mentioned, of the War of 1812, when all construction came to a complete halt. And in August 1814, the British captured the city of Washington, set ablaze, as I'd said to the Capitol, nearly destroying the entire building. Thus, when construction started again after the war ended in 1815, it was initially to rebuild what had been lost to the fire. We got to start from scratch. Let's get that built, and then we'll move on. The central section of the Capitol, comprising of the rotunda and the crypt, was not completed until 1827, many, many years after Washington's death. Now, under the oversight, of an architect of the Capitol, which was Charles Bullfinch. However, plans were to re-enter Washington into the Capitol. That all fell apart when attempts were made to retrieve his body from Mount Vernon, the president's home. Now, due to restrictions that Washington had already put in place, Washington's will in particular and the refusal of the plantation's then-owner, John Washington, they said, oh no, I don't care what Martha said, you're not digging him up. You're not moving him. It's, you know, it's been way too long. So the whole story of this crypt kind of just fell apart in pieces. You know, so while the crypt room does sound quite menacing and obviously got to include it in the story, there is no human remains. There's nobody buried there. There's, there's nothing there except possibly. This is an area where D.C. is most commonly spotted. Yeah. I mean, that's like I said, they brought the cats in to introduce to that area to control rat population. Some some residents of the region at the time said that there were rats down there as big as cats. And one of the theories is, of course, that when you have cats battling rats that are as big as cats, there's bound to be fatalities on both sides. True. And that maybe one of these kittens didn't quite make it out unscathed and used up all nine of his lives and <laughs> is still trying to hang on. According to legends, the, the demon cat, the DC, is seen at, at certain times, uh, particularly before presidential elections. Uh, or tragedies, not just in Washington, D.C., but across the country. Hold on. Are you talking like Mothman prophecy kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Before but something bad happens. 
Uh, it is considered to be an especially bad sign when the demon cat is seen on the ground floor of the White House. This is a sign of terrible events to come. And again, the Washington Post wrote of the demon cat, according to legislative legend, the furry fury invariably shows up. Furry just, fury. I love that. Just before a national disaster and occasionally before a political change in administration. Now, some claim the D.C. was seen by White House security on the night before the assassinations of both JFK and Abraham Lincoln. Yes. The cat was seen in the days leading up to Nixon's resignation. It was said to appear before a flood that killed 2,200 people in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in 1889, before a hurricane which killed 8,000 in Galveston, Texas in 1900, and in advance of the San Francisco earthquake in 1906. Another White House guard saw the demon cat just before the stock market crash in 1829, and the D.C. was allegedly seen on the eve of the attack on Pearl Harbor. It was seen before the death of Teddy Roosevelt, the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, and even the night of September 11th. Yes, so pretty recent. Going back to the Abraham Lincoln story, I dug into that one a little bit. And I will say a lot of what I tried to track down on the DC Demon Cat could be easily released as just stories passed down. Well, a lot of it could be. And then a lot of it could just be cats. Cats. I mean, come on. But the Abraham Lincoln, I have a little bit more on that one. April 13th, 1865, a single guard encounters good old DC, the Demon Cat. The ser- a single security guard making his rounds uh, around the area of the old Senate Rotunda area. This is the area above the crypt. When he hears this beckoning scream of a cat's cry from down in the hallway of the lower chambers going down into what would have been Washington's crypt. Now he goes to investigate and he's thinking that it could be one of the president's pet cats or one of the many strays because kind-hearted Abe Lincoln often allowed stray cats in to the White House. <laughs> he just opened the doors and let him in. He, w- he was very much known for this. So he's thinking, eh, presidents let this stray cat in. It's wanting out. You know? So he goes down. He doesn't think a whole lot about it. Well, he quickly locates the vicinity because, you know, as he describes, this cat is just bellowing and just crying out. And as he approaches it, he's almost wondering if it's not like an injured cry. Now, in the shadows cast by his light, he sees the outline of a regular cat. As he approaches the shadow, as Bill had alluded to, the shadow starts getting larger and larger, and the cries get more and more defining and deafening. He looks up, and he sees this cat walking towards him, or I should say the silhouette of the cat, with each step larger and larger to a giant size. At this point in time, with what they depicted, it would have been over six foot tall. The guy just drops down on his knees, and basically he's like, this is the end of it. You know, I'm, I'm going to die. So he lowers his head, just succumbs to whatever happens, and then nothing. So then he looks up, and there's no sign of the shadow. There's no sign of the cat. The cat's meows have stopped. He goes and actually makes a report in the security log that can be found, physical evidence, of this to his superior. Bad thing is, this record quickly gets lost in the chaos the following day, which was the impending assassination of Abraham Lincoln, which obviously by John Wilkes Booth. And that got lost for many, 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 many years, but has recently been uncovered. So there is at least a pinch of of possible truth there of a true documented case. When was that? Uh, I had that being on April 13th, 1865. What I have, another very similar story, is what's considered the first actual recorded sighting. And that was 1862, just a couple years earlier. Okay. 
And again, you know, we talked about the basement being used to feed soldiers and all that. Uh, the story that started all that night was a night watchman patrolling the basement. He's in that area. When he saw a pair of glowing eyes that he said, quote, glowed with all the ferocity of the headlights of a fire engine. And out of the darkness emerged a big black cat, which he said grew in size before his eyes to that of an elephant. Now he grabbed his pistol and he fired at this giant cat. But of course he's afraid. Adrenaline's pumping, hands are shaking. He misses. And he said, quote, when I shot at the critter, it jumped right over my head. And when he turned around, the cat had vanished. Now, not too long after that, another soldier reported a similar incident with a cat that was hissing like a wash boiler. Wash boiler. Well, that's, that's pretty loud. Before leaping at him with its mouth open and fangs bared, only to vanish moments before it collided with him. So that seems to be pretty common. Like, it lunges for you, it comes at you, but it never hits and it always disappears. Now, I wonder, what is it trying to accomplish? I mean, we're going out on a limb here. We're saying this thing's a spirit, maybe a ghost, but what is it trying well, to accomplish? If it's a harbinger of doom, I mean, I guess it's just trying to get your attention. So it's going to like, we're going to ramp its size up and then I'm going to lunge on you. And if you survive <laughs> the heart attack, I'm going to try to tell you something's well, about to happen. Like you said, in the 90s, you know, you've referenced this, you know, a DC, a DC guard uh, or a Capitol guard did fire at it. And then, and then, then not long after that, another guard died of a heart attack after seeing the demon cat. Yeah, yeah. So I have another very similar story to that. Uh, this took place. Uh, it was sometime in the 1890s. I didn't find the exact date, but there's a story of a couple night watchmen, armed guards, uh, sometime back in the 1890s, found themselves face to face with the demon cat again in the lower areas of the basement, the crypt area. Uh, and on this occasion, old DC started to grow in size and chase the men. Now, this is kind of a unique part because it was actually even brought up in some of the reference I read, and I don't know if you found it. Most instances seems to be a single person encountering. Very uncommon for multiple people to witness the DC cat at the same time. But in this, there were two armed guards. They both saw the same thing. They both saw the shadow. They encountered the cat, not the shadow of the cat, growing in size. They pulled their pistols and just started shooting up the hallway. Immediately upon doing that, cat vanished. There was bullet holes. I mean, they shot up some stuff, I guess. It'd been hard to explain. And obviously, I mean, 1890s, way before any video surveillance cameras. So again, we're going off of eyewitness, but there was at least two guards in this story that talked about it. You know, and you would think these men, you know, might've documented this in their journals or reports, but to date, I, I at least couldn't find anything. The people that I found the, that wrote the articles, they said they couldn't find anything. But again, if you're shooting up the Capitol, <laughs> I would think there would have to be some record of why this happened. There for sure would be in this day and age. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know. So a little bit of history on my side of the table here. All right. Quiet afternoon in November of 1898. The Capitol building had recently been switched over to, to gas for heat and light. And a guard walking through the Capitol building smells gas. Not so unusual. They recently made the transition. Fittings aren't perfect. But what he was unaware of is that one of the gas valves had started to leak. And gas was slowly filling to the level where it was going to reach a, a lighted candle Boom. that was down there specifically so you could go and read the meter. Oh. Well, when the gas got to that, that flame, obviously, that's a bad combination. And a huge explosion rocked the Capitol building. Uh, it threw the floor of the building up underneath the rotunda, threw bri uh, bricks, plaster, and thick black smoke in all directions. They said sheets of fire were coming out of the windows. The fire was so intense that it melted steel, cracked stone, and of course destroyed priceless records in the process. 
Now, as part of the repair process, in places that were once brick and stone, concrete was used to replace those. Hmm. And in some places, you know, specifically the the small Senate Rotunda, they they poured concrete. And when they when the workers arrived the next day, they found small paw prints like that of a cat in the concrete, and the initials DC. I had not read the DC yeah. initials. That's a new initials aspect. DC written in the concrete. I was going to say. I mean, I grew up on a farm, and you know there was you know we poured con- or we had concrete poured for barn floors and stuff. And you'd almost it would be rarer to find concrete that didn't have cat tracks in it. But of course, yeah. that was an outside farm. This is inside the White House, but still, you know. But I had not come across the story where the initials yeah, DC. I found a picture of it where they've got the, the little paw prints. There's like two prints in the concrete. I did this <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, like the cat was like scratching his name in or something. Finally, I get to sign something here, my autograph. Well, we talked about, you know, and I think it's very plausible, the rats and the mice. I'll use the word infestation, but I don't mean it to necessarily sound as negative as it probably does. It was very common. So you bring in, you know, the cuddly feline cats and let them do their job. It was natural, you know, way to control the mice and the rats. But I, I did think it was interesting that in most occasions, this cat is referred to as a black cat. To your point, yeah. there are some versions of a tabby, a, you know, tiger stripe. And uh, I come across kind of an obscure story, but it said, you know, you know, black cats go back in history. Of course, with all the supernatural hoopla, the stereotype, the thought is maybe this black cat was a familiar or a demon belonging to a dark arts practitioner, a witch, perhaps. That I did see reference to the architect which designed the Capitol building itself being what they called a failed necromancer. I Yes. Yes. Okay. I think this is the okay. same story. And I thought, okay, I've got to at least mention that because that's, that's too bizarre not to mention. So the thought is maybe the architect, the <laughs> necromancer, practitioner, whatever, this, the witch, the dark arts practitioner, sent this little demon or familiar in to spy, to collect information, and told them to stay. And then something happened to them. And you know, as familiar does, you, you do what you're told. And <laughs> maybe it's not a dead spirit of a cat, but literally a demon or a familiar that just lurks, you know, lurks in there. Now, another possible origin story, probably a little bit more believable if you're open to the supernatural, is could it have been one of the past president's feline pets that just liked it so well they decided to stay or maybe can't escape for some reason, same as we have human hauntings? One such possibility is President Calvin Coolidge. He served as our U.S. president from 1923 to 1929. Now, President Coolidge had a total of four pet cats that he actually brought with him. They were named Bounder, Tiger, Mud, and Blackie. Hmm. As you might have guessed it, a black cat. Now, interestingly, President Coolidge also had a pet bobcat and two tigers that were given to him as gifts from dignitaries of South Africa that, for a period of time at least, were also housed and lived in the White House. So we have the story of a cat that grows in size and one of the descriptions as large as a tiger. We have Mr. Coolidge, President Coolidge, who had both. So that, that's kind of a weird coincidence. 
Abraham Lincoln, number two, and I touched upon this. He was quite the cat lover himself. He had two pet cats while serving as our president, Tabby and Dixie. However, he also had a huge big heart, it is said, for stray cats, and is told to have often allowed many of them to shelter within the capital, as well as offering them a bowl of milk on several occasions. Number three, President Rutherford Hayes. Now, he brought the first Siamese cat into the White House. Well, which, we know they're evil. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he called him Saim, that, that name, that stereotype. Number four, still there was President Theodore Roosevelt, who had a whopping total of 23 <laughs> various pets living inside the White House. One in particular was a six-toed tabby cat they called Slippers. Number five, President Woodrow Wilson. He had two cats that came to live with him during his office, named Mittens and Puffins. But there are much less famous, or shall I say infamous, over the most well-known pet that he had. This is Woodrow Wilson. A pet ram sheep that he dubbed Old Ike, which grazed freely on the White House lawn. Number six, John F. Kennedy's daughter, Caroline, actually had a pet kitty as well. One that she called Tom Kitten. Now, there are several photographs of Mrs. Kennedy uh, often holding this cat in her lap or holding it as they walked around the garden grounds. Now, ironically, you won't see many pictures of JFK with this cuddly cat because he was severely allergic to cat hair, making it, at least to him, quite the demon cat of its own. <laughs> and the list goes on and on with more recent presidents that had pet cats are living with them there, including Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and even Joe Biden. So there's, I had no idea so many presidents were cat lovers. But uh, there's been a, a yeah. lot of kitty cats in the White House. So officially documented sightings have been on decline since the final days and aftermath of World War II in the 1940s. But I did find one particularly famous incident, which happened in the, on a winter night in 1978. A security guard named John was on his nightly patrol with only his flashlight and keys. As he made his way through the empty Capitol building, he felt uneasy. He said it was just, he, didn't, he felt like something was off that night. He said he felt like a chill deeper than that of the winter night, more like in his soul almost. Hmm. And he thought he was just tired, and, you know, was trying to dismiss it. Hey, everything's normal. I just don't feel right. Until he started hearing meowing in the halls. He scanned his flashlight around the room until it reached the Senate Rotunda there. Back to that area. Hot there spot. in the middle of the room was a black cat with eyes glowing like fiery embers. Now, John took a step closer, and the cat suddenly began to grow in size. Here, and kitty, kitty. Before it stopped growing, it let out a piercing meow and then vanished into thin air. And John was left shaken, but after that night, he never saw the demon cat again. He reported the incident to his supervisors. Naturally, they, they did not believe him. And this is believed to be maybe the final really documented sighting of the demon cat. And what date was that? That was in 1978, okay. winter of 78. Now. You know, some people, though, say they can still feel a presence while in the Capitol building, and this includes such notables as Nancy Pelosi and ex-Congressman Jose Serrano. Uh, no one explanation has ever been able to explain the, the demon cat. Perhaps it's a ghost that remains from the Civil War days. Perhaps it's misidentified regular cats that are still roaming around. Uh, some even speculate that the demon cat could be a manifestation of collective stress. Now, I thought, okay, is this a one-of-a-kind deal, or... You know, or are there others? Ghost cats are not completely unheard of. There are other stories of ghost cats in different places. There are sightings of a ghost cat at the General Stanton Inn in Charleston, Rhode Island. 
Bartenders and patrons often feel a ghostly cat rub up against their legs, and others have seen the shadow of a cat moving about the inn, and still others have heard ethereal meows coming from other areas when they're in there working. Uh, Ciro's Restaurant, also uh, in Rhode Island, Woonsocket, uh, has its own ghostly feline, and at night, staff have reported hearing a cat meowing in the dining room. Hammond Castle in Gloucester, Massachusetts, has a history of ghostly cats. Uh, I did like this story a little bit. It was kind of, kind of interesting. The castle was built by inventor John Hayes Hammond Jr., and Hammond loved cats. It's like was it, uh, Abraham Lincoln there. Oh, yeah. Just had the, loved cats. Affectionate for cats. He also told his friends and family that he wanted to be reincarnated as a cat after he died. Oh, okay. I like where this twist is going. After he died, a black cat appeared in the castle. Boom. And seemed to be 100% comfortable there. Seemed like it knew where it was going. Seemed like it had always been in the castle, <laughs> despite no one ever having seen this cat before. It would go to a lot of the same rooms that Hammond would go to at the same times of day that he would go there. Hi, honey. I'm home. And was especially fond of sleeping in Hammond's favorite chair. Huh. Each time the cat was said to have died, another black cat would arrive to take its place. Endless loop. Well, it's a little unrelated, but similar. We, we have a mutual friend who we will, uh, I'll leave it at uh, the initials of M.W., who has told me a story several times of a ghost dog that uh, he encountered multiple times in his former house, which I will say was built in the oldest part of Lebanon before the railroad goes way, way, way back. And he would, he said, you know, you'd, you'd be hanging out in the living room, just like watching TV. And his, his daughter at that time, you know, much younger living with him would also see it. His parents have claimed to see it. And this ghost dog, I can't remember what breed it was, but it was a smaller, you know, like a beagle sized dog, maybe said would come out of the kitchen through that door. And this house had been remodeled, but then it would like go through the coffee table, just like pass wall, you know, through the coffee table, kind of stop and look like, well, when'd they put that there? You know, like it acknowledged something was different and then maybe would circle back around and just walk into the wall and disappear. Never, you know, never heard it. It never barked or anything, but said it got to be kind of a, a, a common joke. You know, I wonder if we'll see the ghost dog. I wonder if the ghost dog's going to come watch this movie with us or, or whatever. I, I had a friend. He had just uh, moved into a, a little house. Uh, this would have been after he got out of school. Kind of, I think it was his first time living on his own, if I remember correctly. And uh, said one night he felt his little dog that he used to have jump up into bed with him. He was asleep, you know, felt the dog jump into bed. And down at the foot of the bed, like it always would, walked a circle, laid down. Yep. Then he remembered that, one, he had moved out of the house and not taken the dog with him. And, two, the dog had passed away at oh. some point. So he woke up in a start and realized he, he, he was alone in the room. There was no dog there. Huh. So a lot of cultures don't believe that animals have the ability to come back. Because, well, I mean, a lot of like they don't have souls, per se, depending on your right. beliefs. Right, right. And so, but then you, know, you have like the one dude that you were talking about that loved cats so much. He's like, I want to, yeah. when I die, I want to come back as a cat. So uh, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's blurred. So Bill, is it time for headlines? Yeah. Headlines. My headline are demon cats real. Myths, right, right on the nose here. Myths and history revealed. From Catster, <laughs> dated December 5th, 2023. Seemed the timing was, was Perfect, ideal. Perfect, yeah. They knew we were going to do this podcast. So the question is, why were cats considered evil throughout history? 
For much of history and in many cultures, it was common to believe that simple cats might have demonic association. Lots of things can account for this. Cats are by nature nocturnal, elusive, and independent. As so, many ancient people associate them with all things dark and mysterious, including the night, the moon, magic, even death. These beliefs have roots in the ancient world. The Israelites were very suspicious of cats and called them demons of the desert. The Chaldeans, the Mesopotamian tribe, which came to rule Babylon, believed that cats were to be shunned and referred to them as the accursed ones. In Iran, the Zoroastrians considered cats to be servants of the devil Araman. The belief that cats were tied to evil powers was also found as far away as the Malay archipelago, where a demon known as the Bajang, normally seen in a, as, as a deformed human, would sometimes assume the shape of a cat in order to sneak into villages, where it would then eat fetuses and cause general chaos. Whoa. That's extreme. That's extreme. Dialing it up there a few notches. In Japan and the Scottish Highlands, demonic cats were believed to steal the souls of the recently deceased and drag them to hell. However, of course, it wasn't always that way. And in ancient Egypt, we see the exact opposite of these beliefs. Oh, yes. Ra's daughter Bastet was considered divine. And Bastet even had her own city where cats were sacred. And of course, Bastet is, you know, the cat-headed the cat goddess. face, yeah. Now, despite this, Egyptians also acknowledged that the cat had a dual nature. It did have a dark side. It could be divine. It could also be demonic. Sekhmet, Bastet's twin, for all intents and purposes, was the lion goddess. Uh, their association, eh, not so much like twins, but maybe like opposite sides of a coin. Bastet to the yang. Yeah. Bastet was considered a tranquil domestic goddess, where Sekhmet was famed for devilry, violence, and uncontrolled wildness. Now, you know, jump ahead a few years, the Christians further solidified the link between demons and cats. It was believed that while demons had been more common in the pagan world, with the coming of Christ, people became more resistant to their influence. But demons didn't simply disappear. They transmigrated into the most amenable hosts they could find, animals. And so animals were considered ripe for demonic possession, and in particular cats, which already had ties to sinister forces. A possessed cat would exhibit behavior much like a possessed person, speaking in tongues, levitating, performing acts of sacrilege, and spitting fire or vomiting forth strange objects. That sounds like my house cats. They vomit I was going to say, if you ever had a cat, every, every bit of that. They are total <laughs> assholes. Cats, yeah. I mean, it, every bit of that is, is straight yeah, up cat. Yeah. I saw a cat jump like three feet straight in the air once for no apparent reason. So There's, there's a video online of a cat jumping up to grab a ceiling fan that is moving and clings yeah. onto it, and then it slings <laughs> it into the side of a shelf and knocks off stuff, and it just gets up and walks off, yeah. So, so later, 16th century French scholar and demonologist Nicolas Remy would even comment that, quote, all cats are demons. <laughs> I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah. There were multiple stories of a demonic cat in London during World War II, and of course, the demonic cat that we've discussed in Washington, D.C. Well, and, you know, cats uh, back more in the Victorian era, there was a big kind of stereotype about cats jumping up in baby cribs and they would smell milk on the baby's they breath. Would steal the breath. Yeah. Steal the breath and kill the child. And of course you mentioned the Egyptian deal and there was a lot of talk that, you know, cats can see the dead. And so a lot of people would use them almost kind of as a way to protect from that. You know, if the cat is looking off into the, the void somewhere, there must be a ghost or a spirit. No, he's just messing with you because he's an <coughs> asshole. Yeah. But, uh, so all of that kind of ties back in. Well, I got my headline on an article that read Havana Syndrome, a mysterious invisible attacker causes illness to those on the grounds of the White House, the Capitol. I'd heard of Havana Syndrome. I was wondering how you were linking the two together. Yes. 
Well, this was an article written from uh, 60 Minutes. I found it online, uh, dated February 20th, 2022. Uh, Since 2016, U.S. government officials overseas and their families have reported uh, sudden unexplained brain injuries and symptoms of vertigo, confusion, memory loss. The CIA and FBI and State Department are investigating a theory that some of these officials were injured by an unseen weapon who might be targeting Americans, and the the why is really unknown. Incidents um, have been reported in Europe and Asia and Latin America, and that's where the Havana Syndrome gets its name that, that you're more familiar with. But it's also been reported to be found in senior national security officials, and particular those buildings, who say they were stricken. Now, we're, we're bringing this back home to Washington, D.C. area, on the grounds of the White House in particular. Former officials that I'm about to talk about are revealing their experiences for the first time. Uh, I've got a few people that actually shared their name, which, which I put in here, but I will say a lot of these are anonymous. Because they work for the government, they are fearful that they could lose their jobs or there could be repercussions. So uh, the first one that does come forward is an Olivia uh, Troy. Uh, she was a Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, she had served in the Pentagon, deployed to Iraq, uh, served in the Defense Intelligence Agency, as well as the National Counterterrorism Center. While she was at the White House, she worked in the 19th century Eisenhower Executive Office Building. That's beside the West Wing. In the summer of 2019, She was descending the stairs towards the White House when she said she felt like she had been physically struck. Olivia Troy goes on. She goes, it was like this piercing feeling on the side of her head. It was like, I remember I was on the right side of my head and I got like vertigo. I was unsteady. I felt nauseous and I also felt disoriented. It was just like, I remember thinking, okay, you got to not fall down the steps here. Focus. You've got to find your ground again and steady yourself. She steadied herself on the railing, but this piercing feeling continued as she passed by an entrance to the West Wing. Now, Olivia goes on. She goes, it was almost like I couldn't even really process what was going on. It was like a paralyzing panic attack. I've never had that. I've never felt anything remotely close to that. And so, you know, I thought to myself, I mean, do I have a brain tumor or just out of the blue? How does this happen? Am I having a stroke? Well, it appears there are several like this. A senior member of National Security Council says he also was stricken in November of 2020 on the same steps by the West Wing. That former official, whose uh, incident was first reported in the New Yorker, asked us not to name his name. But he described the incident to a close colleague, John Bolton, a former National Security Advisor. Now, John Bolton, the person that he reported this to, said that uh, they had reported disorientation, a ringing in their ears, and just kind of the inability to function. Bolton told uh, the U.S. officials that uh, he couldn't speak or think clearly. It was like he, he needed to go to the emergency room, which they did take him there. And the former official sent us a note saying, more than a year later, I'm still trying to recover and suffering from the headaches and other symptoms. So this wasn't like, it just hit and passed. This is a year later. He's been diagnosed with two other medical conditions that are believed to be the result of the attack. He's still an outpatient of Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Now, those 
others. I include Miles Taylor, also speaking for the first time. Taylor was a deputy chief of staff and later chief of staff to the Trump administration, Department of Homeland Security. Taylor's job is basically to oversee roughly 250,000 men and women of the department that conduct a range of missions from aviation security to border security to cyber security. Now, Taylor stated very similar symptoms as did Olivia Tro uh, had reported. It was late one night in April 2018, uh, says uh, I had just became deputy chief of staff to the department. Taking on some additional sensitive issues with DHS, I woke up in my apartment uh, that night in a row house in Capitol Hill to a really strange sound. The sound that woke Miles Taylor is commonly experienced and reported by dozens of Americans stricken overseas. It was the same sort of a chirping, somewhere between what you would think of as a cricket with a digital sound. He goes, I didn't know what it was, but it was enough to wake me. And what was really strange about it is I went to the window, I opened up the window, looked down the street, and, and keep in mind, Scott is probably at this time 3 or 3.30 in the morning, and he could see a white van, and the van's brake lights turned on, and it pulled away and sped away quickly. Now, Taylor stated the whole ordeal maybe lasted seven, maybe at the most 10 minutes. But what's really interesting is a few weeks later, it happened again. That next day, the feeling of being off balance, the feeling of just being out of it, again, those sorts of like a concussion, like symptoms that you would have from, you know, like getting knocked pretty hard in a sport, getting the air knocked out of you. This incident, he said, stood out to me because I was actually just getting ready to go to Israel on a congressional delegation meeting. We were going to meet the Israeli prime minister. We had some sensitive conversations with the Israelis on very important cybersecurity issues. And I remember, because I got to the airplane at Andrews Air Force Base to take off, and I thought, I'm already nauseous. I don't even know if I can complete this flight. Now, there are at least a dozen or more other cases. However, most being labeled as unidentified, as I said. People fearful of this sickness event, of even reporting it, they were embarrassed, fearing you know, retaliation by superiors because they worked in this close-knit government sector of security. Most are very similar, nauseous, dizzy, disoriented, even passing out, severe pain to one side of the head or the other. And on more than one, even two or three occasions, an unmarked van is often spotted in the vicinity, leaving the scene shortly thereafter an episode occurs. Is there someone using some sort of a machine to invisibly attack government workers? And what are they hoping to gleam if they are? There's a lot of weird stuff at Washington, D.C., besides the politicians. Yeah, the whole Havana syndrome thing. Like I said, I was wondering how you were putting the two together. I mean, I get it now, but yeah. I'd heard of it and I knew, you know, I was familiar with what was going on there. So I think I can answer this question already, but go for it. Cat person or dog person? I used to be a cat person. I have discovered after countless attempts, all cats are demons. <laughs> and as you know, recently we, we, have a, we, we have a dog. We had a dog. We lost that one. I got a new pup. Really my first true in-house companion, hands down, after you potty break. <laughs> I, I will stress that. After you potty break, hands down. I am totally converted to the religion of a dog person. <laughs> so I'm going to start with my favorite answer, which was sort of a, uh, someone asked Chris Pratt once when he was doing um, press for Jurassic World, are you, were you a dinosaur kid? 
To which he responded, no, I was a human kid. <laughs> I love that answer. I, I got to say, I'm like you. Um, part of it, though, is the, the way I was raised. My parents had, or my grandparents had a kennel. They raised puppies. And so there was always puppies around when I was a kid. But I was taught that you didn't get attached to puppies because puppies go away. Right. And so I had family members who did have dogs, but I was never, I never had a pet growing up like that. And, you know, we, my parents kind of got one when I was a little older, like a teenager, but by then you kind of are who you are. And so for a while I thought cats were the best pet because you didn't have to do any work with cats. They oh just, yeah. Litter box trained yeah. and they pretty well take care of themselves. And, and, and while we do have a cat, we have Venus, she's an outdoor cat. She was supposed to be an indoor cat, but she wouldn't stay in the house and now she won't come in the house at all. <laughs> but, you know, a couple of years back, my, my daughter had wanted a dog for a long time and i finally was like okay if if the right opportunity presents finally itself. broke daddy down and um a friend of my wife i remember yeah, the story a friend this. of my wife's had a dog and and it had a, a litter of puppies our first one lucy australian shepherd and um i mean gave us a heck of a deal on her we we you know it was one of those things it was, it was like, like okay, supposed fine. to be yeah you know go ahead and buy her and uh brought her home and lucy was such a sweet dog and she was easy to train and she's she's super smart and then it, then I was the one who was like, well, she's home by herself all day. She needs somebody to play with. <laughs> and same person had another breed. It was the half Australian Shepherd, half Poodle. And she's like, I think the, the, the original number was like 1200 bucks or something. I was like, I'm not spending that much money. Right, right. And my wife would show me like every week or two, like a picture of this little, oh, look at the little puppy dog. <laughs> and finally, one day I was getting ready to go to work. No, I was going to bed. I was going to bed is what it was. Because at that time I worked nights. They were getting ready to go to school. I was getting ready to go to bed. She's like, you know, she asked me about that dog again. I said, you go and you tell her $300. When they were asking 1200 they were asking 1200 I think even at this point, they'd only brought it down to like nine. I said, you say $300. Well, she's not going to give us that dog. For right, right. And I said, oh, I know. <laughs> I, I woke up. And I will win. I woke up with a little brown and black ball of fur running down the hallway. That I'd never seen what before. What is that? I was That's like, what Who's 300 this? bucks looks like. <laughs> yeah. My wife and kids were like, she said yes. I was like, holy crap. Oh, so, foiled again. So now we have Teddy, who's our big dumb dog. <laughs> I saw him fall on his face trying to scratch his ear one day. That's how dumb he is. <laughs> like, and, and I never thought I would be a dog person, but they are my dogs, you know, and I, I love them. And if something's wrong, you know, I, I thought Teddy was sick one day and I was scared to death. We were going to have to take him to the vet. There was something wrong with him, but luckily it was, you know, something we could take care of at the house. It wasn't a big deal. But yeah, like. I, I would not have thought I'd end up as a dog person. I, I think a dog, and again, I'm going to probably offend some cat people out there, but hey, I was once a cat person. Let me state that, but I've converted. But when you come home, I say come home, maybe you were at work for 12 hours, or maybe you went out to the mailbox and got the yeah. mail. Yeah, you were gone the for dog, five minutes. The dog has no clue. They always greet you at the front door, and I, I, I don't care what kind of day you've had. I mean, they are happy to see you. They, they're so unjudgmental. I won't use those words with a cat. <laughs> a cats are just absolute demons. I, I have, I don't know why we thought this was a great idea, but at one point we, we've raised all kinds of stuff. We have raised emu. Uh, we have raised pheasants, rare exotic rabbits, uh, poultry, geese, ducks, everything. At one point in time, we came across a breeder that did bingle cats. Uh, I've told you this yeah. story. A bingle cat is crossed with a wild cat why I thought this would be good. It's like dialing the demon mode up to a greater demon. These things still have that wildness in them. You can be laying in bed at night and you swear you are being stalked and hunted. <laughs> These things are like, 
you're just kind of going around, creeps you out. They are so jug-headed. They will not leave anything alone. And I have a, uh, a snow leopard, pretty much white cat, if you will, with the markings that you can see. This thing should have had a major role on the exorcist. It can <laughs> projectile vomit like no other demon before its kind. And it's one of those things where you're watching a movie, you've had a hard day, you're trying to relax. And he'll just enter the room. He'll come and sit down and then start his... Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, let me get a towel. Nope. Just everywhere. Well, then he's like, okay, I've soiled this room. I'll move on to the next one. Runs down the hallway. It's like, oh, oh I'm still cleaning up the living room. Give me a minute. Runs to the di- you know the dining room. He has to initiate like every room. And it's like, for the love of God, cat, please stop. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of like the switch. It's like, there's got to be something better than this. Well, <laughs> it's like the, you know, a dog needs you to take care of it. A cat expects you to. Yeah. Or um, cats train people. Yeah. <laughs> You know, things like that, you know, it's, or, or even like, what is it they say? If if you die and you have pets, like a cat won't wait for your body to get cold, but a dog will <laughs> wait until it's starving before it decides to eat you. Yeah. Yeah. Like a dog feels some degree of loyalty. A cat is just like, you're lucky I live here. Yeah. Right. Right. Where's my food, human? Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope that you have enjoyed yet another episode. This one was kind of a fun and more whimsical. The DC Demon Cat. Let's be careful out there and watch out for that cat scratch fever. Thanks for listening. Hey, real quick, call to action. I think Eric would agree. We'd like to grow this Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Absolutely. If you could, if you're listening on Apple, if you would go and give us a review and, and rate us. Uh, if you have some feedback, that's fine too. Uh, whatever, whatever platform you're listening, follow us, rate us, give us some reviews. That helps get some recognition. And gets our name out there. We do have a Facebook page, Nightmares on the Lost Highway. You can easily find us if you want to communicate with us. If you want to share some uh, possibilities for future podcasts with us, you know, reach out. We want to talk with you guys. Another White House guard saw the demon cat just before the Stark. Stark. Piercing feeling on my side, on the side of my head. It was. I kind of had a country accent there. <laughs> I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.